growing up as a kid, and maybe you're still a kid, what's your favorite Christmas TV special? Anybody remember Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you may even say it glows, right? Remember that? Anybody like that one, Rudolph? I loved Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer because, well, Rudolph was different. In fact, we're all just a little bit different. And it highlighted the fact that our our differences can actually help other people. That was a a great show with a a great message, even with its stop-motion characters where they're kind of a little jerky when they walk around. Love that show. How about The Grinch Stealing Christmas? Anybody how The Grinch Stole Christmas? Anybody that's your favorite? Okay, a few of you? Yes, I went to the... the, uh, Parade of Lights, uh, the light parade that we had in downtown Amarillo on Polk Street, and uh, there were lots of Grinches, people dressed up like Grinches. So I know that's a popular show, and of course, the message of that story that even though the Grinch tries to steal every present, he can't stop Christmas, because Christmas is not about getting stuff. Right, kids? I don't know. Yeah, right. Okay, good. (laughs) Goading you there. But my favorite Christmas story of all, Christmas uh, TV series of all, was the Charlie Brown Christmas. You guys remember this one, Charlie Brown Christmas? Oh, I love that one so much. And of course, it begins with Charlie Brown kind of melancholy. He's kind of depressed, even though it's the Christmas season. He's not feeling that cheer. In fact, he goes to the mailbox and he says, anyone in there? And it's empty. He hasn't received a single Christmas card. And he says, rats, no one sent me a Christmas card today. He says, I know I don't have a lot of friends, but I don't need a holiday to emphasize that, do I? (laughs) Then he sees his little friend Violet reading a Christmas card that someone sent her. So he walks up there and he says, Violet, thanks for sending me a Christmas card. And Violet looks Charlie Brown right in the eyes and said, I didn't give you a Christmas card, Charlie Brown. And she walks away. Frustrated, Charlie Brown says, don't you know sarcasm when you hear it? Clearly he's upset, frustrated. Nobody seems to care. He's depressed. So what does he do? He goes to the neighborhood counselor, Lucy pays his nickel and says, help me, Lucy. I know it's Christmas, but I'm not feeling that cheer. And she said, what you need, Charlie Brown? You need involvement. You need to get involved with the Christmas season. Then you'll have that Christmas cheer. Why don't you become the director of our Christmas play? Well, blessed to be asked to be a director. Charlie Brown says, yes, of course, I'd love to do that. And one of his assignments, of course, is to go get a big Christmas tree for the set decorations for their Christmas play. But he's instructed very clearly by Lucy Go get a big, large aluminum Christmas tree. Well, he goes to the Christmas uh, tree area where they're selling trees, and these aluminum trees, you know, they clank when you knock on them. He just can't see that's what you want. And so he finds this poor, live, wooden Christmas tree and says, that tree needs some love. I'll buy it. Cheerful about his new purchase, he comes into the uh, place, the, the theater where they're rehearsing, and what happens? All of his classmates... Even his dog, Snoopy, laugh at Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. One girl stands up and says, Charlie Brown, you are hopeless, absolutely hopeless. Depressed, Charlie Brown says, ah, drat. Everything that he tells uh, Linus held in that blanket, it seems like everything I do is a disaster. I don't understand what Christmas is all about. Is there anyone who can tell me what Christmas is all about? And then Linus, his one faithful friend, says, sure, Charlie Brown, I'll tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And the spotlight shines on Linus, and everyone stops to listen. And Linus tells everybody what Christmas is all about by reciting our gospel text this evening. To see what Christmas is all about so that we don't miss it, turn in your books, your Red Pew Bibles, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. It may be found on page 1090, Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Uh, But before I read God's Word, let's call upon His Holy Spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as we pray. 
Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much that so many years ago, by your Holy Spirit, you inspired Luke to investigate, to get an orderly account of all that happened at Jesus' birth as he interviewed people like Mary. So God, I pray, Lord, as we read this familiar story tonight, that you might speak afresh and anew to us, that we might hear from you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, it may begin found on page 1090 of that Red Pew Bible. I would encourage you to take out that Red Pew Bible, follow along as I read the text, and keep it open as I make reference to the text throughout the message this evening. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, listen to God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration which Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the towns of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We'll look again at verse 8, which is the opening verse that Linus quotes in that Charlie Brown Christmas special. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard this story pretty much every year of my life. It's a great story, but I've always kind of wondered, of all the people that the angel of the Lord could go visit to tell about the birth of the new Christ child, the Messiah King, why does this angel of the Lord go to a bunch of no-name night shift shepherds? Of all the people they could have told it, why these no-name night shift shepherds? I mean, normally in the first century, if you're going to announce the birth of a king, you would have gone to the king's palace, right? 
and said, hey, a new king is born. Isn't this great news? Of course, if you read Matthew's gospel, you'll see that King Herod didn't like the news that there was a new king born. So what does he do? King Herod, in fear and anxiety, has all of the babies and the children two years and younger killed in Bethlehem. No, there's a good reason that the angel of the Lord doesn't go to the king's palace in Jerusalem, even though Jerusalem and Bethlehem are less than six miles apart, very close to one another. But why go to the night shift shepherds out in the field in Bethlehem? Why not go to the temple where the priests and the scribes were. After all, the priests and the scribes were experts in the law, like Isaiah 9 that we just read, the prophecies of this wonderful Messiah who's gonna be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As you read in Isaiah 7 that the virgin will be with child. As you read in Isaiah 11, out of the shoot of Jesse, one will come. I mean, they were experts in the law. As they read in Micah that it's going to be born from Bethlehem. Why not the angel Lord come to the temple of all places where the religious elite were so they might understand and celebrate this birth of this new Messiah King, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy? Well, if you read all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that the group of people that Jesus had the most difficulty with were the religious elite, the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees. Those were the ones that actually had Jesus arrested and ultimately crucified. Now, they didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear who Jesus really was. In their religious pride, they thought they knew everything. Now, there's a good reason that the angel of the Lord didn't go to the temple, even though it was six miles from Bethlehem. But still, a bunch of no-name, night-shift shepherds? Why not go to Joseph's relatives? After all, we've just read that there was no room for her in the inn, so she had to give birth to this baby in a stable and lay him in a manger, a feeding trough of all places. I mean, if the angel of the Lord had, had appeared to Joseph's relatives in Bethlehem and told them exactly what was going on, maybe they would have made room, right, for the birth of this Christ child. They would have made a little extra room. I mean, when you have a special guest, you make room, right? Of course, if you read all the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that apart from Mary and Joseph, most of Jesus' relatives didn't really get who he was until he died and rose again. His brothers kind of mocked him. They didn't follow along with what Jesus was doing in his ministry. No, they didn't seem to have eyes to see or ears to hear who Jesus really was. Maybe that's why. God sends the angel of the Lord to these night shift, nameless shepherds because they have eyes to see and ears to hear. They have eyes to see and ears to hear the word of God because they are humble, they are faithful, and they are worshipful. They are humble, they are faithful, and they are worshipful. Can you say that with me? They are humble, they are faithful, and they are worshipful. These shepherds are humble. How do I know that? Well, they're the night shift shepherds, right? I mean, if these shepherds were wealthy, they would have had a sheep pen, right, to put their sheep in. And uh, if they were really wealthy, they would have hired someone else to watch the sheep at night so they could sleep, right? By circumstances, these shepherds were humble. They were poor, humble, hardworking men just trying to raise some money for their family by herding sheep out in the middle of field in the middle of the night. Yes, they were humble men, humbled by life's circumstances. And isn't that a prerequisite to entering the kingdom of God? Humility. That's how Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount when he tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
To be poor in spirit is to recognize that I and myself don't have what I need. I'm at the end of my rope, as Eugene Peterson says. I need help. I'm poor in spirit. I need God's saving grace. Or as Jesus would go on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek or the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Yes, humility is a a key prerequisite to entering the kingdom of heaven. As James, the brother of Jesus, who finally recognizes who Jesus is after his death and resurrection and and writes his own epistle and becomes a leader of the church in Jerusalem, he writes in James 4, verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is a prerequisite to entering the kingdom of God, to have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of who God and who Christ really is. We first have to be humble. And in Scripture, this isn't the first time God has visited some humble shepherds. You may remember in Genesis chapter 12, God visits a humble man named Abram who was fatherless well along in life. And God comes to this shepherd, Abram, and says, I tell you, if you leave your homeland and go to the land I will show you, I will make you into a great nation. And so Abraham, humbled by the fact that he was childless, follows God's call into the promised land and eventually becomes the father of Isaac, who becomes the father of of, uh, Isaac and then Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob becomes the father of 12 tribes of Israel. This, This isn't the first time God has visited a humble shepherd. In Exodus chapter 3, a man named Moses who is described as the most humble man alive at his time was humbly herding not his sheep but his father-in-law's sheep when God appeared before him in a burning bush and called Moses of all people to help deliver the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. This isn't the first time that God has visited a humble shepherd. After all, David, the youngest son of Jesse, was humbly herding his father's sheep when God anointed him to be the next king of Israel. Yes, these shepherds were humble, and they were faithful. They were faithful. Listen again to their response to the the words of the angels. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this Christ child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. These shepherds are humble and they're faithful to act on what they know and faithful to share what they've heard. They hear this wonderful news from the angels and they faithfully go to see for themselves and then they faithfully share what they know with Mary and Joseph, how the angels told them that this was the Christ child. Are we faithful to share all that we know about God today? Because as we look at the pronouncement from the angel, we can see in verse 10 and 11, the angel tells us, Fear not, before, before behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, or as we'd say in West Texas, unto y'all, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, I've often thought about writing like a West Texas version of the New Testament because like every time it's like you and that's actually plural uh, version of y'all, you get it. Like this is good news for everybody, not just you shepherds, all the shepherds, everyone everywhere, right? What is it that Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 3 verse 16? Please read it with me as we showed up on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world. The Greek word for world there is cosmos. We get the English word cosmos. For God so loved the cosmos, all of creation, all of the universe, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, here to this earth, who was without sin, who was fully God and fully man, who grew up among us, who taught us, who healed us, and ultimately died on a cross as the perfect atoning sacrifice for all of our sins so that our sins might be atoned for once and for all. As Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 19 with his final words on the cross, it is finished. Yes, when Jesus died, he paid the price for all of our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf so that we might know with full assurance that as we put our faith in Christ, we have the gift of eternal life, the gift of a new life, if we'll simply follow him. Do we share what we know with others? Because, my friends, we have good news to share with others. Amen? We have great news to share. So why don't we share that news more often? Now, I know we've got folks from out of town here, so glad that you're here Those of us who live in Amarillo, you know, we live in the buckle of the Bible belt, right? West Texas, I grew up in Midland, I get it. You know, we can feel like, gosh, everybody's heard of Jesus, right? What can I tell you that you don't already know? But the gospel hasn't really changed your life until it goes from here to here. I can hear it with my ears. I can understand it with my mind. But until I allow it to enter my heart... And I recognize that my identity is found in the unconditional, sacrificial, eternal love of God and that nothing can separate me from that love. I won't be who God has called me to be. I can't become who God wants me to be until I allow that love to ultimately define me. And if I want to hear that message well, I've got to have a humble heart. I've got to be faithful to share what I know. And like these shepherds, We should be worshipful. You see, when you understand just how much God loves you, not this much, but this much, you can't help but worship him. Notice what the shepherds do. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The only appropriate response to the unconditional sacrificial love of Jesus is to worship him to worship him regularly. You know, in the Presbyterian Church, we have a thing called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It was written during the Reformation to help teach what the Bible teaches. The opening question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what's the chief end of man? Or kind of what's the purpose of life? Rick Warren stole this from us when he wrote Purpose Driven Life. He never gave us any of the proceeds, though. I'm still looking for some of that money. But anyway, what is the purpose of life? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him. We glorify God out of gratitude for His great love for us. So how can we make sure that love goes from here to here? Because I'm afraid in the American church, that's not happening. Many people may have heard of Jesus, but they're not worshiping Jesus, at least not weekly. Now, do we need to be in worship every Sunday? Well, if we say we follow Jesus, we should. Because every week He was in the synagogue, it was his regular, regular rhythm of life. And it's interesting, there's a new book that's out. It's called The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? Written by two Presbyterians, so you know it can't be bad, right? Huh? Pretty good. Anyway, he points out after a bunch of surveys, after COVID, 40 million Christians 
have stopped going to worship. 40 million Christians. That's as if the entire state of Texas and New Mexico and Oklahoma just quit going to worship. But that 40 million people. To put that in perspective, historically, they write this. About 40 million people have stopped attending church. More people have left the church in the last 25 years than all the new people who became Christians from the First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, and Billy Graham Crusades combined. Wow. Those are the great movements of God, the First Great Awakening in this country led by Jonathan Edwards, who was a Calvinist, a good Presbyterian guy, and the Second Great Awakening, and then, of course, Billy Graham's Great Crusades, who grew up Presbyterian, eventually became Baptist. That's okay. We still love him. But it was great how he had these crusades and millions and millions of people came to Christ, but all that great work doesn't add up to 40 million. 40 million Christians have stopped going to church. Why? How can we make a change? Well, who do you know who isn't here? I'm so grateful that you are here. But in order to help make worship a regular rhythm of life, we need the gospel to go from here to here. And how does that happen? Look at what Mary does in verse 19 of our text. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She heard the message of the shepherds, this good news that her son was the Savior, and she had been told that by the angel Gabriel, and she heard those words, and she treasured them up in her heart. When you treasure something, you hold on to it dearly. You bring it close to who you are. You allow it to begin to define you, and you ponder it. You, you wrestle with it. You think about it. You meditate upon it. The one of the greatest ways the church is found to allow the gospel to go from here to here is by meditating and even memorizing the Word of God. Now, we've given you a, a, a little reading plan here that'll help anyone uh, go through the New Testament in one year. Just one chapter a day takes about five minutes to read one chapter in the New Testament. I think we can all do that, right? Five minutes, and you, as you read it, you can just underline any words or phrases that stand out to you. We've applied, supplied these five questions to ask of the text as you read it each day. Five verses, I'm sorry, five minutes a day, five days a week, five questions. As you read, ask, what verses stood out to you as you read this chapter of Scripture? And then why do you think these verses stood out to you in particular? What does this chapter tell us about God? What is the overall emphasis of this chapter of Scripture? And how are we called to live in light of this chapter of Scripture? You know, Psalm 1 begins by saying that the man who meditates, and that Hebrew word means to murmur to yourself or to chew on, the man who murmurs or chews on the Word of God is like a man who's planted, like a tree that's planted by a river. It bears fruit in season. If we want to be the fruit-bearing Christians that God has called us to be, who bear fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as Paul describes them in Galatians, then we've got to spend time in God's Word. If you've never read the New Testament before, I would encourage you to do it. We, we actually have you begin in Mark because Mark was the first gospel written. It's only 16 chapters, one chapter a day, five days a week. If you miss a day, you can catch up on Saturday or Sunday, but Monday through Friday, one chapter a day, takes about five minutes, ask these five questions. You'll read Mark, then Matthew, then Luke, then John, then Acts, and by the, December, you'll be in Revelation. You have a clear vision of who God is and who God wants us all to be. Yes, as I think about this familiar story, I know that the angel of the Lord came to the shepherds, 
because they were humble enough to hear. They had ears to hear what the, what the angel had to say. They were faithful enough to share what it is they knew, and they were worshipful to the end. When the gospel has gone from here to here, we can't help but worship him. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, on this Christmas Eve, I'm thankful that this sanctuary is full, and, and I'm thankful that we are able to gather together as one body in Christ's name, but we know we have friends and family members who aren't here tonight that should be. We want to invite them. We want to share what we know about you and your love. I'm thankful that these shepherds offer us a model of humility and faithfulness and worshipfulness. I pray that that would be true of all of us. And, and like Mary, who treasured all these things in our heart, I pray that we might take the time we need each and every day to, to read through your word, to, to spend just five minutes reading one chapter a day, asking your Holy Spirit to speak to us with humble hearts, that we might learn more of who you are and who you're calling us to be, that we might faithfully share what we know with others so they might come to know you as well. And in gratitude for what you've done for us, we might always worship you, living a life that brings glory and honor to you. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son who is the Christ and all God's people said, Amen.